morning, good evening, good night, wherever or whoever you may be. I am Alan Arante, and this is The Recluse Podcast. Today's guest is Violet. She is an esthetician who specializes in skin and waxing. She was homeschooled for the latter half of grade school and was raised in a fundamentalist cult. She is a self-proclaimed goth BBW, that is, a big, beautiful woman who is goth, and she is a dynamic human being. In this conversation, we discuss her experience as a sex worker, the view she has of herself despite the issues she has had with eating disorders and weight. She fills me in on some of the Twitter drama she has found herself in in the last couple years, and we talk about the creativity she exercises when she creates her content. Violet is the perfect example of why the question, who are you, is so important to me. She is the perfect example of why a person's occupation cannot be used as the one and only metric for determining who and what a person is. I got a lot out of this conversation, and I hope my intent is clear. So without further delay, this is a portrait of Violet. Um, and then the last thing I was going to say is I, I can't imagine that I'm going to ask you anything stupid or um, offensive or where you're like, oh, my God, one of these questions. But if I do, it's because I'm dumb and not a jerk. I just want to say that. <laughs> OK. <laughs> OK. All right. Violet Vincente. Who the hell are you? How the hell are you? <laughs> Um, so who the hell am I? Um, I am, I'm a 29 year old. I live in Los Angeles. Um, I am a sex worker and an esthetician, artist, total weirdo. Um, and I'm, I'm doing pretty good today. You know, I, uh, it's, it's not a bad day. So yeah, it's nice out. Uh, where were you born? Uh, so I was born in North County, San Diego. Uh, so I am a Southern Californian by birth, but I've lived a lot of different places. Uh, uh, but I've lived in L.A. for 10 years. Oh, you've been in L.A. for the last 10? Yeah. Cool. I'm in, uh, I don't know, have you heard of Ventura? Yeah. Yeah, I know where I'm in. Oh, cool. I never know people have heard of it. Uh, I'm in Ventura, so I'm not too far from L.A. So cool. Um, did you or what was your high school experience like? Were you um, an outcast, popular? You know, how, how was your high school experience? So I was actually raised. Um, I was homeschooled from uh, the fourth grade. And when I was 12, we joined a cult. And so I was like raised my teenage years in a fundamentalist cult uh and basically until I left the house uh when I was 18 I moved out when you say fundamentalist cult you mean like a Christian group or what do you mean so fundamentalists are um people who there's no like figurehead it's not like an overarching it's not like being Mormon where they have like their prophet you know it's just individualized churches who happen to like or even just families in churches who happen to believe that like we should follow the Bible as like hardcore as possible. And um, our particular like 
um, thing that we followed is called Quiverful. And um, it's based on this Bible verse that says that an archer's quiver should always be full, a.k.a. like have as many babies as you can so you can like spread the word of God around the world. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I was raised in. I have five brothers and sisters. They were all homeschooled as well. Um, the youngest is 17 years younger than me. Oh, wow. <laughs> so there's like a huge age gap like there. Um, so, yeah, like. I, when I was a teenager, I just pretty much only hung out with people from our church. And then when I was um, 16, we did join a like homeschool co-op. So I did get a little bit more um, outside influence at that point. Uh, And I was incredibly rebellious, like against my parents. (laughs) Not in a, not in an overt way. Like I didn't, I wasn't like a sneaking out of the house, smoking and doing drugs. I just wanted to listen to pop punk and like wear black eyeliner <laughs> and skinny jeans. Like that's all that I wanted in life <laughs> and to be popular on my face. <laughs> Are you now just expressing yourself in these last 10 years, how you always wanted to? Oh, for sure. I, I look exactly how I wanted, like what my teenage self like wanted. <laughs> I mean, I thought at this point that I would have way more tattoos, um, <laughs> like way more, but it turns out tattoos are expensive. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm like living like my dream that I had as a teenager. Like I just, that's why my mom at first, when I first started like getting the piercings and tattoos, she really hated it. She wouldn't even look at my face when I came, when I, she like saw that I had gotten um, a piercing, like. But then eventually we talked about it and I was like, mom, you know, I've always loved this kind of thing. Even when I was a kid and we would go to the mall and I'd see like the punks or we would like walk past um, like Hot Topic. I would be like craning my neck to like look in there. If I saw anyone with like tattoos or a mohawk or like a weird outfit on, I like couldn't stop staring because like I, I wanted to be that way so badly. What's the allure of a DIY show in like a small hot venue? Is that something that you can actually enjoy? I I love it. Honestly, pre-quarantine, I went to DIY shows at least one show a weekend, sometimes two. Um I I don't know, it's something about like showing up, seeing my friends, you know, chain smoking outside in between bands and then just like <laughs> packing our just hot, sweaty bodies into a space and just like, it's a different experience than going to big concerts. Like I haven't been to a big concert in, I I can't even tell you how many years. I must've been my early twenties at least. Like I love DIY. I'm really passionate about like the DIY music community and, um, I like have actually donated a lot of money to my friends' faces since um, since COVID has been happening because mm. a lot of people are worried about like getting kicked out of their spaces because they're not working, they can't throw shows. So I've just been like, every time I get a chunk of money, I'm like, let me give you like a hundred bucks. Let me buy something off of you. Let me like, oh, you you make t-shirts. Let me buy like four t-shirts. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
So how can the small places stay open when even the big places that, you know, seem too big to fail are are at risk? It's crazy. Yeah, it really comes down to like if the community is like cares about these spaces the way that like we say we do. And it's not just like a place to get drunk every weekend, but like we're really passionate about DIY, then it's the community can like do it. Like, yeah, it, we, can, we can save these spaces. So let me, um, I'll shift gears a bit. I asked you, or we were about to get into this uh, earlier, but what kind of DMs do you get? I imagine like your your private uh, Violet page, I imagine you just get the strangest DMs. Am I wrong? You're not, you're not wrong. A lot of it is kind of boring. It's a lot of, hey, nice ass. like that kind of thing but then I do get people who either don't understand like what the purpose of my page is that like I'm a sex worker that's why it says in my bio look at my links before you dm me it's very clear I have an OnlyFans I have an escorted website go look at them um but I mean but people are are kind of dumb you know men are thinking with the with the dumb stick and just like, <laughs> oh, hot girl, let me click and message her. Um, I don't get that many dick pics, which is nice. Uh, and I get a lot, just a lot of people from other countries who are never going to like pay anything. But I run the Instagram page because it can be a really good marketing tool. And I actually have gotten OnlyFans followers off of it. So that's why I like continue with it. But I keep it really low effort. Like I have friends who think about their feed and edit all their photos. And I just like scroll through my phone until I like find, okay, yeah, this photo's hot. Let me post that. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so that, so the link in your bio, um, it, it takes, it can take somebody to like a, a variety of places. So the fact that you say in your bio, like, okay, click the link before you DM me. Wh- why is that? Is it because, you know, I'm not here to talk to you. I, this is what I'm here for. Click the link and you'll know. So you're not, that page isn't a place for you to make friends per se. It's more of just a business front. It, de- it definitely is. I mean, I, I connect with a lot of my like sex worker friends on there we all follow each other and like comment on each other's photos. But at the end of the day, it's really not everything that we do as sex workers is like marketing. And so I have a Twitter page that I have almost 9,000 followers on. Um, I would have more, but I sometimes um, start some drama. (laughs) People don't like that. (laughs) You should have way more followers. Uh, I just have a hard time keeping my mouth shut sometimes. Um, essentially, <laughs> what, but do you get like political sometimes. or what? You just talk shit. Um, yeah, every once in a while I'll get like political or I'll talk shit or like there's always some drama going on on Twitter and like it. People will chime in and usually I try to stay out of it, but sometimes I just like cannot. And then <laughs> I had a really big drama that happened last year that I kind of started. And it's definitely still affecting me to this day. Um, there's people who like don't want to work with me because of my opinion. But here's the thing: they're in the wrong, <laughs> and I'm in the right. So can you 
can you say in loose terms without saying names, you know, what it, what it involved? Um, so it actually involved fat phobia in the sex worker community. Um, mm. And I'm standing fully in the right, on the right side of it. And the people on the other side are the people who want to normalize us forcing our bodies to be thin, having eating disorders, talking about weight loss constantly on a platform that's supposed to be yes for us to build a community, but it's also client facing. And I think that we have like a responsibility to each other to not like encourage this kind of like behavior. Um, Mm. Like it all stemmed from someone that I knew she posted a like weight loss photo and I scrolled on by because I don't give a shit about that type of thing. I'm fat, I'm happy, do whatever you want with your body. I don't care. I don't, I just, I don't praise people for their weight loss. I don't give a shit. Mm. So, so like um, the Adele thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. She looks horrible and she's a crash <laughs> diet. She's incredibly unhealthy. That is not healthy weight loss. I, I like can't stand it. She was beautiful before. She's still a beautiful woman, but she looks unhealthy. So she posted these photos, right? I scroll on by. And then a few hours later, she retweets herself. And she was like, um, I need more praise for this. And I was like, okay, I'm going to unfollow you. It was a skinny girl who got skinnier. There's a, what, what praise do you need? You were already thin, and now you're even thinner. Um, but then, I don't know, like a couple months later, it was kind of it was kind of eating at me one night. So <laughs> I started talking about it and it caused a ruckus. <laughs> a ruckus. No way. But I I aired out a lot of people's dirty laundry because what people don't know about me is that I'm the secret keeper. Everyone tells me their secrets. I know secrets about everybody. And I keep them to myself, which is why I'm the secret keeper. I don't usually talk about it. But one girl tried to get mad at me. And I was like, first of all, uh, I've had you muted for like two years because they don't like you. So I don't know why you're commenting (laughs) on my feet. Second of all, I know that your weight loss was unnatural. That you scammed a man to go to Guatemala to get a Brazilian butt lift and it was botched. And now your body looks like shit. And that's why you're mad. But I'm saying, hey, let's not talk about weight loss on the timeline. And that's the person you were beefing with. I mean, it wasn't even beef because I blocked her right after that. I was like, I'm sick of seeing you. Like, <laughs> like that, that, um, what she did, that's sort of offensive to you as a woman who's, who's bigger and a little, and, and proud of it. Is it offensive to you that someone would alter their body like that? Um, in or inorganically, I, I could say. Oh, absolutely not. I think that it's up to everyone to do whatever they want with their bodies. Do I think that it contributes to a really harmful, like, body mindset in society? Yes. And but my main problem is, is that she pretends like her changes in her body were natural and organic. She oh. lies and doesn't talk about the fact that she had plastic surgery. I think that if you have plastic surgery, you do have a, you should say, I had plastic surgery. This is not natural. This is not how like bodies work. Like 
this ass is not real because it's unrealistic expectations that we're placing in society for other people. I think that we have a duty to like teenage girls. I, I've had an eating disorder since I was very young. That's what a lot of people don't know about me. When I talk about these things, a lot of women want to say, well, you don't know what it's like, you know, like I, I have an eating disorder and I'm like, yeah, bitch, me too. That's why I'm so passionate about this because I spent my teenage mm. years doing irreparable damage to my body, starving myself, working out incredibly hard. I now am, I have, my knees are fucked up. I'm literally not allowed to like do heavy exercise because my knee is like, like I need knee surgery. I ended up gaining all this weight. So now I am fat. I wasn't, I didn't used to be fat. People assume that I've been fat my whole life. I haven't been. I was actually skinny and athletic because I like, literally ate one meal a day and went to the gym seven days a week and played sports. Like I, I have been a victim of society's harmful ideals about bodies. And I'm just, I'm very passionate about changing, changing the world and changing like how young girls are raised. Like even one of my little sisters. So one of my sisters is she's 21. She texted me and she said, Hey, our youngest sister is starting to like talk about how she thinks that she's fat and she's only 10 and she was saying oh that God. she wants to go on a diet. And I was like, this is exactly like why I'm so passionate about this because my mom got me to start dieting with her when I was 10. My mom like convinced me that I was fat and then I needed to go on a diet and it set me in a spiral of almost 20 years of just like wrecking my body. Like I have horrible stomach issues now that will never go away because I still have like an eating disorder mindset sometimes. Like, even though I'm like that, people don't know that I will like should have not eat for three days because my brain is like control. <laughs> like, <laughs> they just wow. assume that, Oh, because you're fat, you must be a glutton. You must be lazy. Like I miss working out. I miss playing sports, but I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not allowed to do it. So, like, wow. So, is is in su- is it just coincidental, or would you say that the weight you've put on, and you know, and I'm just describing what you're what you're telling me here. Uh, do you feel like your condition now that you're in, whatever that may be, is a rebellion towards your mother, or is it just coincidental? It's just coincidental. I, um, when I was in college, I was still playing sports and my knee was getting worse and worse. And at the same time, I, um, I have an auto-inflammatory disease. I've had it my whole life, but it never really bothered me, um, until I was 21. And suddenly it was like overnight. It just completely like changed, changed everything. I got really sick. My, I had a really bad injury to my knee. I fell down a flight of stairs and landed on my knee. And I was doing roller derby at the time. So it was already like a dicey situation there. Um, and my my condition affects my skin and makes it like incredibly painful for me to like sweat or have a lot of friction. Um, mm-hmm. And 
it just like all kind of came together in this, like I suddenly had to stop my active lifestyle. I got really depressed. I like partied a lot. I mean, I still party a lot, but I was partying like, like clubbing back then. And like, it just all kind of, it slowly came on. Like when I was 21, I was probably like maybe 200 pounds. And that's where I had been for several years. My body kind of settled there. That's where I like my body naturally wanted to be. I'm five nine, mm. by the way. <laughs> like, oh, okay. That's, yeah. It spreads out real nice. Um, but yeah. And then just over the years, it just, you know, it's a couple of pounds here, it's a couple of pounds there. You get into a relationship and then suddenly next thing you know, you've gained 20 pounds and you're like, I hate you and I hate this. And like, <laughs> So despite yeah. all of that, do you still feel, you know, beautiful and sexy? Oh, I think that I'm genuinely like getting better as I age. I look at photos of myself from when I was younger and I can see one I was not meant to be skinny. My body looks weird and creepy to me now. Um, like my teenage body is like strange. And like, who is that gangly thing? Like, um, I think that I look great fat. I like, I love my body. My true, like, and it's not that I have like, like a lot of people think when I say that, oh, you love being fat. You're proud of being fat. I'm like, no, 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 no. I just love my body. This is a neat bag that I got to carry around. And why should I hate it and torture myself to try to make it do things that it doesn't want to do or that it's like painful to do? I would rather like look in the mirror and be like, God damn, okay, you're cute as fuck today. Like, do I, do I have times where I hate my body? Yeah, lots of times. Like, I would probably be more successful if I was thinner or like, Maybe I wouldn't struggle so hard with like relationships if I was thinner, but I, but that's not even true because I have friends who are successful in their businesses, in sex work. I have friends who are fat and have wonderful, loving relationships, who are married, who have kids. Like it, we're, it's, it's totally possible for like fat people to like, just like be happy and love themselves and like find themselves attractive. And I definitely do. I think that I'm hot as fuck. And I think that I should be like way more popular than I am. <laughs> so let's get into uh, some of the, um, the other things. What, how, how would you define sex work? What is sex work? Um, so sex work would be anything that is kind of inciting a like sexual response. But I would not include um, burlesque dancers or not sex workers. Uh, and I wouldn't say that like Hooters waitresses are sex workers. What so about strippers? Strippers are sex workers. 100%. Like I, I, I like as an escort, like probably I have like the most affinity like with strippers and obviously other escorts, but like all of my best friends since I was like 18 have always been strippers and like me as an escort, like we go through a lot of the same things. What about like an only fans person, like somebody who has an only fans page and they post, you know, extreme content for lack of better words. Is that also sex work? 
Yes. So that so there's in-person sex workers and like and we also use the term hands-on sex workers. That's for people who do like body rubs, um, happy ending massages, escorts, dominatrixes, like those are hands-on. And then there's online sex work. I've been doing only hands for like a month. No, <laughs> you don't know shit. <laughs> Talk to me with your like a few, a few more months in the industry and like because I think the problem is I have had people who I run a lot of the I've run like support groups over the years um online for workers of all types but then eventually ended up just only wanting hands-on workers um in the groups because there's such a difference between working online and working in person and I had a lot of people who are coming to the group saying yeah, I'm an online sex worker. And then it turns out they've sold a couple nudes or mm. they made an OnlyFans, but like they have no idea what they're doing and they just want advice. And I'm like, this is not an advice group. This is a support group for people who have been in the trenches, <laughs> who have been doing how, this. How long have you been uh, escorting? And, and also what is escorting? So, um, so an escort is um, a companion who's hired to spend time um, legally in the U.S. Time, money given is for just time. Um, so, right. I I don't discuss like that any acts like beforehand. Besides, like what I what I will not do because there are a couple of things that I do have to make sure that like they're not expecting um Mm -hmm. but we use like very coded terminology for it um and yeah i mean there's escorts who like it's wham bam thank you ma'am there's escorts who are you know a thousand dollars an hour and they're real fucking fancy and they're getting taken on vacations and like so it's like a whole range we have like the girls who walk the streets, they're they're still technically an escort, just like the girl who's you know one k an hour. We're all we're all the same. We experience things very differently, but at the end of the day, we're fucking for money. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, and I have been escorting now officially for ten years. This is my I first did it when I was eighteen. Um, like it was like a couple months before my 19th birthday. So it's been 10 years and like two months or something like that. How does uh, somebody get into that? For instance, you know, did you just wake up one day and think, Hmm, like, you know, I kind of want to try this thing or did it just somehow happen on its own? How, how did it happen for you? So it's, it's kind of both. I was super interested in stripping, but I didn't really know how to like get into it because this is 10 years ago. There wasn't the resources that, that there are today online about how to get into sex work. Like I just knew I wanted to be a stripper, but I didn't know any strippers. I didn't know how to find the information. I didn't even know where to buy the shoes. Like, and then I had just moved out of the house. I was really struggling finding work. Um, and I, was like, you know what? I could go onto Craigslist and I could just like post an ad 
in the personals because I knew there were personals and I knew that girls like did stuff for money. I saw the ads and I was like, I could do that. Like I'm, I'm cute. I'm 18. Like someone's going to like do that for me. Um, <laughs> and so I did, I posted an ad and I got a bunch of responses and I, and I did a damn thing. <laughs> And then wow. I was like, wow, this is so easy. It, so uh, let me draw an analogy here. Um, I, I'm i right now on a path to becoming a teacher. I'm working towards a credential right now. But when mm-hmm. I, before, but before that, or no, not before that, but in that time, I spent a couple of years substitute teaching. And for instance, my first day, my first month, my first six months were very hard I made all the rookie mistakes. And I say all of that because did you have sort of an experience like that? You know, you first started and you had to, you made, not made mistakes per se, but you had to learn the ropes on the job. Nobody there to tell you how to do it. Oh, I definitely did. I, um, my first client actually like, um, ripped me off. I, had a couple guys like get rough with me because back then I didn't know anything about screening. I didn't know anything about like having a safety call. I was just like getting into guys' cars and going off with them. And it definitely, I, I made a lot of mistakes and eventually I kind of got like, I was like, damn, it shouldn't be this way. And I took some time off and I did so much research. This was like a couple years into it. Um, I I learned about like how to screen guys. I learned about like safety protocols, what to say to them, just like better skills. I didn't learn a lot about advertising. That was always my problem. I was shit at advertising because I just used like Craigslist and Backpage. I had no idea that there were whole websites for advertising and I wish I had because I can just imagine if I had known when I was like 20 I could have been just like so successful back then like I knew what I know now my marketing would have been amazing but so how how do you screen how do you screen a person so I um I can't give away all of our secrets of course Um, of course yeah but essentially what I ask for from clients is I need their full legal name. Um, if they contact me through text, then I um, then I need their email address. If they emailed me, then I need their phone number because I like to have both phone number and email. Um, and then I have a whole system. I have access to a couple blacklists that I run them through. I, um, I have a website that I use that um, gives me everything that they've ever done in in their life. Um, I've even been able to find like where people live. Um, But if I can't find any information, I can't like confirm that they're a real person through like a Facebook account. Um, If my like deep search doesn't actually turn anything up, which can happen if someone has like a really common name Um, or even just, they told me the wrong spelling because guys will do that. They'll tell us like the wrong spelling of their name. And I'm like, no, I need to know if it's George with a J or George with a G. Just tell me the truth here. <laughs> um, 
And so then I'll sometimes ask, uh, I always ask for references, um, but if they're new, they won't have a reference. And I do, I'm open to seeing new people. So then I'll ask for them. I have them take a photo of their ID and then a photo of themselves holding the ID, doing something with their hand. So like a thumbs up or touching their nose, something weird that they can't like Google that, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm a lot more strict than I used to be. Like I even just maybe a year and a half ago, I wasn't even this like, I always did the references and the blacklist and like a light Google, but I rely a lot on intuition. Um, but as I kind of, I started touring and visiting other cities and I kind of like have seen some like no, notoriety a little bit in the sex worker community. I, I wanted to kind of step it up especially when I started um, like pursuing my esthetician career, I knew that I needed to be a lot more careful. Um, Mm. So I'm like, I'm serious about it. And if a guy has nothing to hide, he will comply with all of those things. Like he just will. If somebody doesn't want to do my screening, I'm like, okay, so you don't want to do it because you, there's something that you're going to, that I'm going to find out. You're not actually (laughs) serious about seeing me. Um, you're, you believe that I'm going to out you, which is stupid because I would ruin my career if it came out that I like outed a client. I don't give a shit that you're paying me to have sex with you. Like, I don't, I'm not going to call your wife. I don't care. Like, (laughs) I would have made it this long in the industry if I did. (laughs) Like, So what kind of, how would you describe the men that you've dealt with? You know, are they scummy men, married men, lonely men, perverted men? Uh, do, or, or do you just simply not really, you're, you don't care necessarily. Of course you want to screen them so you know it's safe, but you're not really concerned with what kind of men they are. So I, I would say that, um, I do get men from all, uh, all walks of life. I I do mostly see men of color. That's just what like who I attract. Um, I don't see white men very often. Um, and you know, some of them are. Some of them are lonely. Some of them are total freaks, and I hate every single second of the appointment. Um, some of them, yeah, they're bored married men. Some men are just like I like seeing escorts and I'm like, okay, cool. Like I would say that most of my clients treat me pretty well. Um, and I will also say that out of 10 years, I have only ever had two that I thought were hot and I was attracted to. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Do you have, what was that more enjoyable? Like those two cases because you found them hot or whatever it was, did, did that somehow translate to a better time for you? Uh, it, de- it definitely did. Um, it's a, the first guy, it was not like it, it was actually like kind of a fetishy um, appointment. And it, some, the thing that he wanted to do is something that I'm actually very into in my personal life. And so I was like, Ooh, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is so great. And he actually wanted to see me like, outside of like work and gave me his business card and I like 
looked at the business card for like two weeks sitting on my shelf and then I tore it up and threw it away I was like no I have to be like professional (laughs) Mm. um it was very tempting um and then the second guy actually I think about him all the time it's so bad um (laughs) I never thought that I'd be like the girl the escort who like catches feelings for her client but you know he I had to screen him through like doing the like selfie method and his photo sucks but men suck at taking selfies anyway so I was like whatever (laughs) great another just like average looking dude well then I opened the door and I was speechless I couldn't like he he's someone that I would swipe right on on tinder and like pray that we matched like my exact like I mean, I, I don't really say that I have like a type, but I, he's someone that I, is a type of person that I date often, um, like looks wise. And it was, it was some of the best sex I've ever had in my life. Like we just had that like chemistry and it was phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. So is there, um, what it sounds like to me is that there really isn't that much of a risk of falling in love. You're saying there were only two times and this time in particular that you just described where, you know, it just all clicked and, you know, you wanted to be with them. Um, So you're saying there's really not that big of a risk of falling in love with these people. Um, for me, definitely not. I, uh, I definitely see it as like a business transaction. I um, I can enjoy myself. I have a couple regulars that um, obviously like we get we get along, um, and I have a nice time with them. I have I I have orgasms like having sex with these men. Not every time, but sometimes, and like it can be a nice experience. Sometimes it's not a nice experience and I just have to like grit my teeth. But yeah, I'm not really the kind of person. I'm like a very pragmatic person. I definitely like, I don't see clients as like my friends. I know girls who have very different relationships with their clients where they're like, these men are my friends. These are men that I care about. I have a friend who like, she loves her clients. She has like deep love for her clients and I, that's just not me. I just don't, I see this, this is my job. It just happens to be a job where I have to have like a very branded persona. I like have to be nice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I am. So I know I give off like an ice queen demeanor. That's something that I hear a lot, but it's just because (laughs) I'm like very business minded and I like, I want to get past the businessy part so that we can get to like the fun part, you know? Mm-hmm. So can you describe for me what I, I assume that there are, there's a variety of ways it can all go down, but what's a typical escort experience like from the moment you get the notification that you have a gig to the time that you're on your way home, what, and everything in between, what's like a typical escort experience like? So uh, obviously, I mean, I'm going to speak to like my particular experience because I know everyone's is like a little bit different. So um, when I get the email or the text and we get through the, the boring stuff, the screening, me making sure that they're actually like 
This is a serious booking. Um, I require deposits. I've only not taken a deposit twice. No, three times in the last like two and a half years. And one of the times um, I just like knew on good faith that the guy would show up. I just like, I, I had a feeling. Uh, the second time was that, that guy that I like ended up having the hot for. Um, uh, Cause he booked me very last minute and there just wasn't time for a deposit. And the third time the guy didn't show up, which is why like, I like to do deposits. Um, so do the deposit, settle on a date, um, date and time. I rarely do last-minute bookings unless I'm on tour, uh, just because I don't live at my in call. I so I have to like go there, make sure it's tidy, like do the whole getting ready thing. I like to give myself at least 30 minutes of like being violet. So I put on my lingerie, I like have my music on, I take a couple of selfies, I like scroll through Twitter to kind of like get myself into like being. I mean, Violet is me. I'm Violet, but I still like kind of like to switch my mentality over and remind myself, don't be a bitch. Um, <laughs> Do you get nervous? <laughs> um, not, not really. There's, I mean, there's always like right before I open the door, I'm like, okay, because if it's someone I've never seen before, like. I'm coming in blind. I I may know who this guy is, his name. Maybe I've seen his Facebook, but I don't really know him. He could show up and he could be incredibly quiet. And then it's like the most awkward appointment ever. Um, (laughs) He could be way hotter than I thought. And then I could have weird feelings for him. (laughs) So you never know. But like I... I do, I get like a little more like, okay, I'm going to have to, you really have to think on your toes a lot as an escort because you have to instantly read the guy, adapt to what he's looking for. Um, Cause you just don't know until they actually show up. Uh, money is always first when they show up. Um, usually I like ask that day. Um, I'd be like, Oh, do you want to like clean up a little bit? And They'll either like kind of discreetly set money down or um, they'll put it like in the bathroom, like while they're washing their hands and they'll be like, oh, I left something in there and then I like go get it. I'm pretty flexible about that. A lot of girls have like really strict rules about how the donation is done. But I, um, I like to be a little flexible because some guys are new. Some guys are used to it being a certain way. I've also had guys, you know, bring it to me in a book. And I like that. I like, like, having that be, like, an open interpretation. I have some really cool books now because like, I wanted to pay me <laughs> in a book. Like, um, And then, you know, we do all the stuff in the appointment. Like, if it's a short appointment, I usually like to talk for – my shortest appointments are an hour – so I usually like to talk for, you know, like 15, 20 minutes, kind of chit chat, get to know them a little bit and then um, do the thing. If it's a really long appointment, I definitely stretch that out way longer. Um, if it's at night, like maybe have, you know, a cocktail or a glass of wine um, and 
then when the appointment's over, uh, so like near the end before I get dressed, I actually take like my whole bag into the bathroom with me um, to like get dressed because for the past, um, I'd say maybe five years, at the end of every single appointment, I take a photo of myself with the money, uh, like in the mirror, in naked, in lingerie, whatever I happen to like still have on my body. And so I have these photos that I've been saving for years. And like one day I want to do something with them. I don't know what. Yeah, I have yeah. These, like, all these photos of me like holding money after being paid for sex and then um and then I leave say our goodbyes uh leave I usually like to text or email them within a couple of hours um that it was really nice meeting them I had a great time stop that's bad I got me stop it um but like a nice like thank you um depending on the time of day it depends on what I do after the appointment if it was a morning appointment, usually I'll like, I don't know, maybe go get some lunch or run some errands, just go home, chill out. Um, if it was at night and it's not super late and I like still have energy, sometimes I'll like go to a bar, um, or, like go to a friend's house and have some drinks. Sometimes I do just like, want to go home. I'll think that I want to have a drink and then I'll get home and I'll be like, Actually, you know what? You know what sounds cool? Bed. <laughs> so. so, so when you're like on the way home, what what are your emotions and what's going through your head? Do you, um, you know, did did you ever go through any periods of like shame or or disgust, or do you just feel you know co- like confident and at home with what you do? Do you feel empowered? you know, for making your living the way you do? What are, what are your thoughts and emotions at the end of, at the end of these um, events? So I, I don't really like feel empowered. I know that's like a big thing. Uh, the last like couple of years about like sex workers are you know, women empowered. I don't, I don't care about that to me. Like it's not empowering. It's not like, whatever the opposite is, I, it's just, it's a job. So there have been appointments, like the really bad ones where I go home and I feel like shit. And, but it's more about like, I, it's not the like sex work in general. It's like the man that I'm just like, wow. Like I've had many times that I've wanted to quit the industry that I've, that I've tried to quit the industry. And I always end up going back because like, I'm good at it. I like making a lot of money in a short amount of time. I'm because of my health issues. It's really hard for me to like hold a steady full-time job. Um, and so this has been like what has saved me. Sex work like saved me many times over the past 10 years from like being homeless from uh, when I was, I was homeless for a while. It like helped me, you know, I would crash on friends' couches, but then, like, I'd be like, damn, I really want to get, like, an Airbnb. So, like, I would be able to use the money from an appointment. I was able to get the place that I currently live because of sex work, because I, like, was able to 
make a bunch of cash. I went on tour for a month and a half, made more money than I've ever made in my life, and like was able to survive while I looked for an esthetician job. Um, so it's, you know, it, it depends, really. I mean, I've had, you know, I've had periods in my in my career where it's been worse than others. Like, I used to work for an agency that was really scummy. Uh, the rates were really low. And the men were horrible. And that was when I, that was like a period of time where every single, after every shift, I would go to the bar and I would drink and I would get like really drunk because like, I, I like hated these men and I hated the way that they treated me. And And what is it that they do? Are they just really rough with you? Do they, are they, do they pressure you? I mean, cause I, I just can't imagine obviously because I, I don't know what it's like. So what? When you say you go to the bar after some, you went to the bar after some of those nights, and what what is it about the men and that what they did that made it so awful? It's um, it's kind of like a couple of things that I would say, like a lot of like being dehumanized and like not, especially there's like one particular type of guy um, who they just don't see us as like humans we're just like a body and so like making me comments about my body and like touching me roughly doing things that obviously like hurt and I tell them like no and when I worked for the agency I didn't feel like I had like the agency to be able to say like like you have to get out um whereas now I don't experience that as often. I do still occasionally get someone who's just like way too rough with me. Um, A lot of men think that because I'm like a hefty girl that I can like, they can get really rough with me, but it has to be discussed. And I actually don't do submissive sessions anymore. I used to when I was younger and I don't at all. I don't, I don't do anything like submissive um, because I had people who like, seriously injured me a couple of times. Um, wow. So, yeah, those are, like, the people, the people who, like, poke and prod at my body. I had a guy, like, ask me to take out my nipple ring once and then wouldn't stop talking about how gross it was and was just, like, really, like, terribly rough with my body after I told him, no, I'm not going to take out my nipple ring. And, like, it was, like, the most uncomfortable thing ever. It was, like, you saw that I had a nipple ring in my photos. (laughs) Wow. That, wow. That's, that's so, it's so interesting to hear. And, um, I'm happy that you feel confident enough to talk about these issues. Um, it makes a big difference. People need to hear this kind of stuff. It's, it's a lot of stuff that goes unnoticed. I think, you know, it's stuff I never knew, even though I know sex work is a thing. Um, so I, I'm happy that you're so candid about it. I think it does a lot of good to be honest about it. And, you know, and you're and you're not sorry about what, you know, this stuff that you do. It, it's very interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I used to keep it really secret and I didn't like tell anyone about it. But as I started making more and more friends who were really open out when I finally started, like, like a couple years ago, I, I, I have a big friend group now that I met a few years ago. And um, one of the girls is a, she's a stripper. And we were like 
talking at a party and she said something about like being a sex worker and I was like oh I I actually am too and she was like oh my god (laughs) what (laughs) awesome and like that helped like solidify our friendship because like I started telling more and more people I don't like to tell people right off the bat because I actually like would kind of rather stuff out like how they feel about sex work because at this point I don't have the energy to try to like argue or change people's minds. I don't really know mm. if you're like a bigot <laughs> so I can yeah. just like not deal yeah. with you. Um, Cause I used to, I used to be like super into activism and like, you know, wanting to like change people's minds about sex work. But at this point I'm tired. The industry is hard and I, I just like, I don't, I don't have the energy for it anymore. And I, there's enough like inciting between girls that I have to deal with. But to try to like change some random person's mind about sex work, I just, I have friends who do it. They love it. Great for them. <laughs> it's not for me anymore. Yeah. You, um, I noticed uh, just based on your your page that you you have a lot of funny comments that I actually I like or not comments sorry I I like a lot of your captions for your uh, photos on Instagram a lot of them are really funny to me um, so thank you for that but what I learned is that you you've engaged in uh, porn with with friends and just on your own um, did you produce all of that stuff yourself or is that through like an agency? So most of what I shoot is is just myself. Um, I when OnlyFans came on the scene a couple of years ago, and I and made one. I've been doing like some private content selling for for like a year before that though. Um, and I joined up on OnlyFans, but like I really hated it. I hated doing it. So I quit. And then last year, I was like, okay, I need to diversify. Um, and started doing OnlyFans again and like mini vids uh, and a few other sites, but those are like the main ones that I sell on. And so I shoot pretty much everything myself. Um, I did start, I made some friends with some like really popular uh, like real porn stars. <laughs> I really call myself like a fake porn star, like because I'm not, I haven't shot with any of the major companies like. I'm pretty low budget still. I got my ring lights. I got a lot of toys and lingerie, but like I'm still kind of like small beans. But I happen to make friends with some girls who are like big time. They shoot with the big companies. They make a ton of content. Like this is their whole life is like mm-hmm. doing this. And I I just like got lucky enough to like be invited to create content with them a couple of times. So some of my stuff is really really nicely produced and like with like these famous corn stars and I'm like I don't know what I'm doing here but I'm just excited to like be here again (laughs) does it feel like a creative act for you um I didn't I didn't watch any personally I just noticed that you had like a bunch of videos uh but I just have to wonder you know it's like it, to do something like that, it, it takes a camera, it takes aesthetics and 
staging and, you know, the things in the background and the whatever, the color of the sheets or whatever. Do you feel like when, when you produce that stuff that it's a creative act for you? It definitely is. I think a lot about my lighting. Um, a lot of my sex worker friends like call me like the queen of lighting. Um, I'm like, I'm super into the aesthetic colored lighting. I know it's not as popular though, so I do still shoot stuff that's like normal, <laughs> just the ring light or like natural lighting um, to appease the fans. But uh, yeah, I like think about what I'm going to wear. Um, I try to not wear like the same lingerie over and over or like I have some costumes that I like to do. And then I like when I'm sitting down, like thinking about what I want to shoot, I try to do like half just kind of like a regular concept whether it's a role play or just like it's me your girl violet i'm gonna masturbate now (laughs) um or i'll do and then i do like half of it is kind of something a little bit weird because i like making the weird stuff it's not necessarily what turns me on it's just what i like to make so like i did a video where I put on like a beer girl costume and I had a big boot cup and I put <laughs> beers in it. And then I just like, I made a video chugging the beer <laughs> about my favorite beers and like burping a bunch. And it was super fun. I was trashed at 5 PM. <laughs> like It was a great time. Um, so, so yeah, I, I like that, like the planning stage. Um, and then like, I'm really organized. I have like a schedule of, I have a list of like the videos that I've shot like recently, what day I have it queued up on OnlyFans. Um, I have like a schedule of making sure that like every day I have stuff going out. I didn't used to be this hardcore about it, but with not being able to work right now, I I've gotten really serious about it. And um, I'm hoping that, like, it'll really help me build, um, like, a really good, like, OnlyFans following. And that's why I've been working really hard on my Instagram as well. I didn't use to. I would, like, post occasionally. I didn't have, like, a business account. I was really lazy about it. But now I'm, I'm like, on it. Like, business account, posting multiple times a day, checking my insights, doing the sponsored posts. I do like um, promo with other girls. I'm like being very business minded. (laughs) So I was curious, how does sex on camera and, you know, and the escort work, does that influence um, what you might call just quote unquote normal sex, like with somebody you're romantically involved in, uh, what, what does it, how does it affect that part of your life? Um, you know, honestly, it had made me really know what I like, what I want and how to speak up about it is I like many, many girls in my early twenties, like the sex that I was having in my personal life, was bad because <laughs> um, I didn't really know how to like talk about what I wanted or needed or didn't like. Um, and through doing doing sex work, like 
obviously when I'm with a client, like I, I mostly just kind of let them like do their thing. If the sex is really bad, like I don't tell them and I don't like tell them what to do usually, um, unless it's like actively hurting me. Um, because I just kind of, I don't see myself as a teacher in my capacity as a sex worker, but in my personal life, like if someone is doing something that I don't like, that I'm not into, when I was younger, I used to just kind of disassociate, let it happen, deal with the weird emotions later. But now I'm like, I have no qualms about like stopping, being like, this isn't working for me. I've straight up gotten out of bed and either left or made them leave if like I'm not having a good time. Um, so it's it's definitely made me very um, good at like asserting my boundaries. I pretty much I like never have bad sex anymore because I like can stop it. <laughs> do do men have trouble? You know, when you're out, when you're in your dating life, that is. Um, do those guys or or whoever it is you're you're romantically interested in or dating, do they have trouble with your experience, you know, when you when they find out the kind of work you do or if they already know? Do you find that guys that you're romantically interested in have trouble with this part of your life? Um, very rarely uh is it an issue. I, I have had guys that I've told who um, were kind of like, mm, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm like very comfortable with that. Um, but for the most part, I think that living in Los Angeles, a lot of men that I've dated have already dated another sex worker. Um, and I've never, so I'm bisexual. I've never had a woman have an issue with it either, um, ever. Women like never have an issue with it. It's pretty much always been like, guys but for the most part like I'll kind of you know ease my toe into like telling someone um to see kind of how they would react because I did have a case where like I told a guy right up front like everything that I do and he like reported the night did not end well and he ended up like getting my old Instagram account deleted. He like reported me and like talked about calling the cops on me. So like now I kind of am like, yeah, I like, you know, have done sex work. How do you feel about that? <laughs> and like kind of slowly ease them into it. Um, is it some guys it's, you know, the content is fine, but the escorting isn't, or the escorting is fine and the content isn't, or like, I had a guy that I told him at first that I was just like a dominatrix, and then um, I accidentally made a comment that kind of sounded like I was having sex with my clients, and he like freaked out, and I was like, well, okay, <laughs> that's where the line was. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I would think... Yeah, I would think that's something you have to negotiate and navigate every time because you either tell them up front and then they don't like it or you, you know, is there ever a case where you're just talking to someone back and forth for a couple of weeks and you don't mention it and all of a sudden they're invested without knowing this part of your life and then 
you tell them and then all of a sudden they don't want to talk to you, you know, do you tend to make it known within a couple of days or within a day? Yeah. So I like to make sure that they, that they know like fairly quickly. Um, but I also don't really seriously date very much. Um, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big old slut. I, I have had mostly just like one night stands or like short little things. Um, I don't get serious feelings for people very often. Uh, so if I think that it's like something that maybe is going to be more than just like a one night stand, then I definitely am going to tell them. Um, or if I get the sense that they're like cool with it, like right off the bat, they're cool with sex work. Then I like, then I'll talk to them about it regardless of where I see the relationship going. But if it's just a one night stand and I kind of know it's going to be, I don't always tell them. I don't think that's any of their business. I'm very safe. I get pre-pandemic. I got tested at least once a month. Um, and it's not my entire identity. There's a lot of other things about me that's like way more interesting. And I don't really like talking about sex work on dates because then the whole date just ends up being about how I'm a sex worker and they want to ask me all these questions. And like, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I just, I think there's so many other things that we can talk about. So, mm. but yeah, if I do think it's going to be something serious, like I'll definitely tell them. Um, I dated someone for seven months last year. We were together for seven months. And I told him right off the bat because I like, I knew that we were going to, it was going to be something. I could like feel it. And so I told him right away. Like within like half an hour of meeting him, I was like, I got to wow. just tell him because I need to know um, if he sucks. <laughs> and he was completely cool with it. He's dated sex workers in the past. So it like wasn't a problem at all. Um, hmm. Do you think you'll quit escorting and the content creation as soon as you can? Or is this something that, you know, you actually like and you, you like to do it? So, so I, so I like to do it. Um, I, my, my plan right now is to continue as long as we've got a pandemic going on. I have to make money. I cannot, if I get caught working as an esthetician, I will get my license taken away. So, um, I can't, I can't work in that industry. Um, my plan was to actually like retire from sex work within the year. Um, as I built my esthetician business, but now I can't do that. Um, so as of right now, for the foreseeable future, I will continue. Um, I do have kind of, I'm at a fork in the roads in my life right now, actually. Um, I'm currently in the interview process for like my dream esthetician job. Um, so if I get that, I actually, I will be quitting sex work. I like, that's it. Like I'm going to be done because I will have more than enough money to live on if I get this job and, um, and I will need all of my focus for it. And, um, I, I won't like need sex work anymore. I'll miss it definitely, but I won't need it. Um, but if I don't get the job, I, or if the job, you know, I have no idea when I would be able to start it. I may not even be able to start working there until a year from now. Who knows? Like 
then I'm I'm gonna move out of LA actually, um, and go live in. I, I lived in a small town when I was a teenager, and I want to move back there. And so I'll go and live there, but I'll continue like um, making content. I'll probably still come out to LA to like do stuff, you know, depending on the level that everything opens up. Um, and also like still probably tour um, when like it's safe to start flying again uh, and then work on building an esthetician business out there when we're allowed to work again. Mm. Wow. Um, you're uh, an interesting woman. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy that you, and I, and there's a lot of other things we can talk about, like, you know, history and art and stuff. I'm not, it's not that I don't think you can, you know, can't, it's not that I, don't think that's interesting. It's just that yeah. your story that you're telling me, it, it makes sex, sex workers so much more three-dimensional. You know, it's so easy to just write off a person as being a sex worker and make all these assumptions. So that's, it, so that's sort of why I, I targeted um, the subjects that I did, which you're, you're probably not surprised. Yeah. Um, but I think you're a good example of a three-dimensional person. I mean, you're, you're just making it very clear that you're not all about just one thing. And, um, I, I expect you to be successful in life. Frankly, you should write a book. You, I think you have a lot to say. And, uh, I just, you, you've never heard that before you or you have. No, I have. Yeah. Well, I would recommend it. I, I think you would have a lot to say. Um, I have one more question for you. Okay. And you can answer it any way you like. And here's the question. Violet, who are you? Oh, God. <laughs> um, I would say I am I'm a dynamic human being. Uh -huh.